Welcome to the sermon podcast of Christ Church Medicine, a community coming home to Jesus and His Church. For more information about us, visit ChristChurchMedicine.com. Thanks to Father Scott and to your parish for inviting me to come. It's so good to be here. It took me about an hour and 15 minutes, so I enjoyed my, my trip over here and uh, I'm glad to be worshiping with you. My name is Eric, and I serve as the lead pastor at St. Michael's Anglican Church in Delafield, Wisconsin, and a colleague of Scott's and Marissa's, and it's so good to be on the same team together as we serve God. Today I'm going to be engaging with you in Ephesians chapter 1, and the way I want to begin is just to think about the idea of basics. And I was thinking about how, for me, I grew up in Michigan, but I spent most of my adult life in Oklahoma City where we raised our children, and for about 20 years, we lived in Oklahoma. And then three years ago, we moved to Wisconsin to serve at St. Michael's. And just thinking about the things that I enjoy about Wisconsin, one thing that is for sure is the sports culture. Go Bucks, right? Last night. I also enjoy baseball a whole lot, and so my son Zach and I go to plenty of Brewers games every year. But the one thing about the sports culture up here that is different from where I come from in particular, is the Green Bay Packer culture. And there's a famous story that began in the early, that happened in the early 60s, where Vince Lombardi, this was pre-Super Bowl era, Vince Lombardi held up a football and showed it to his men that were there for their training camp and said, gentlemen, this is a football. In other words, he wanted them to understand the basics and to understand that being clear about the basics, being centered on the basics, being fundamentally excellent with the basics was what was most important for them as a team. And that culture, in many ways, continues to today. What a legacy. The idea, though, of the basics. What what is our basic identity as Christians? What is our basic understanding of who we are in God? That's the general theme that I want us to see as Paul writes this letter to the church in Ephesus. One important thing that for us to remember in our New Testament, the letters, so everything after Acts in your New Testament as you go to the right to the end of your New Testament, they're all written because there was an issue. None of the letters in your Bible, in the New Testament portion of your Bible, were written just because. Paul or Peter or James didn't write just to say hi to the Romans, or to the Ephesians, or to the Corinthians. Now, all the letters in your New Testament are problem letters, if you will. Letters written to a normal church, like you, and like my home parish in Delafield. Notes written from a pastor's heart to a church that was struggling with some issue. And for us to see what Paul was doing in the book of Ephesians, for me, it's important to remember that they were a normal church, just like you and me. And they had normal struggles, and they needed leadership. They needed help from their lead pastor, if you will, their bishop even, if you will. That they needed help in staying true to who they were. That they were being tempted to leave their faith. They were being tempted to let go of the basic truths of who they are. That the pressures that they were experiencing in their world and at work, and at play, and at home, were serious. Serious enough that the Apostle Paul wrote this letter to them. And the letter begins with Paul, in verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus, 
and to the faithful ones in Christ. So when we think about our basic identity and how Paul begins his letter right from the get-go, he identifies two words that are very familiar to us. The words holy and the word faith. At least in the life of the church, those are words that we're familiar with. Holy and faith. And what Paul does here at the beginning is he anchors his listeners, he anchors this local church in the fact that they are holy ones, the translation of saints, and they are also faithful ones. They are holy ones and they are faithful ones. Basic identity. Holy ones, saints, meaning you are connected to the Holy One of Israel. You are connected to God. He has claimed you as your own, and you have attached yourself to him. In other words, you are a blessed person. You are a person filled up with blessing because God has chosen you, and you are clinging to him. Because you know that you are safe in him. That you understand who you are in him. You are a holy one. You are a God person. Someone who God loves. Who God has chosen. Who God has called. And your one stays true to that. You understand who you are. You're the faithful ones. Don't forget who you are. And to understand our basic identity as Christians, it's vital that we remember that this is all God's acts on our behalf. Our identity is grounded and founded in Jesus because God chose to do something. Christianity isn't primarily our good ideas or our efforts or our decisions. The faith that you are founded in today, the faith that you are grounded in today as a child of God, is because God, our Heavenly Father, chose to do something on our behalf. Verse 3, 4, and 5 says, Blessed be God who has blessed us. God who has chosen to give good to you. God who has chosen to do good on your behalf. Blessed be God who has blessed us. And the text continues by saying, with every, say every. Does God have you talk back to him? Occasionally? All right. I freaked out my parish my first week there when I did it. They weren't used to that, but they got used to it. So say every. God blessed them, not with a blessing, not with two blessings, not with some blessings, but with every blessing. Wow. (laughs) Wow is our reaction. Thank you. I am a person who is deeply blessed by your presence and by your action on my behalf. He chose us that we should be holy, and he predestined us. His plan was that he would adopt us as his children. Adoption has a special meaning to many people, and for my wife Denise and I it does. Eleven years ago, there were two little boys who were picked up by the police who were brothers, stepbrothers of a couple girls in our youth group. And one Sunday night, Zach and Gabe were brought into our church And the girls introduce them to us. These are our brothers. And there's problems because they've been abandoned by their mom and their dad. And long story short, we adopted those boys a year and a half later. 
And so 11 years fast forward, and Gabe and Zach, like Bryce, Wyatt, and Micah, my first three children, are my children. I got four boys. Pray for me. Oh, goodness. The idea, though, that, that they are ours, they are our boys, adoption. That's the language Paul uses to help us understand the kind of love that you have from God, your heavenly Father. All, like sheep, have gone astray. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But God has moved on your behalf. God has chosen to do something about the pickle we found ourselves in as persons who are fallible and sinful and broken and needy and weak, that the God of the universe says, I come to you and I choose you as my own. Our basic identity is a privileged identity. It's an amazing grace identity, an oh my goodness identity. Is this even real? Our basic identity is based on God's behavior. And then there's three things I want to pull out. God's behavior, things that he does in this text. The first one is that God redeems us, another churchy word. And actually, the word redeemed was a market word. It was a word very common in the business world of the ancient Near East. We made it a spiritual word, and we don't really use it too much, except maybe you redeem a coupon, right? The idea, though, that God redeems us, Ephesians 1, 6, 9, and 10. The text says, in him, and you're going to see that two-word statement throughout this section where it's going to say, in him, something amazing has happened that roots and grounds you in your identity, that roots and grounds you in what it means to be a man, what it means to be a woman, what it means to be a person made in God's image, that in him, you, we, have redemption, there's the word, through his blood. The forgiveness of sins of our trespasses that making known to us the mystery of his will to unite all things in him. Now, when I think about this idea that this is our identity, that we are a redeemed person, I think about my dogs. Are you a dog family or a cat family? How many dog families have we got in the building? And how many cat families? I'm sorry. That's all right. <laughs> I like cats too, but we're a dog family. And every Sunday morning, we put our three dogs in their kennels as Denise and I and the two kids that still live at home with us go to church. And every Sunday afternoon when we come home about one, it's the same song and dance. Three dogs going nuts. Three dogs howling and crying out, let us out of here! We don't belong in a cage! If they could speak, I think is what they would say. Christian, person made in the image of God, you don't belong in a cage. Therefore, God has provided to you the gift of his grace that releases you from tyranny, that releases you from bondage. And what does bondage or tyranny feel like, look like, act like in your life? How has God, through Jesus Christ, promised you freedom and invites you to walk in today? For us as Christians, God has set us free. Language from our Bibles, he set us free from the world, from the flesh, 
and from the devil. He set us free from the power of sin. He set us free from guilt. He set us free from shame. He set us free from debilitating habits. He set us free from memories never getting healed. He set us free to fully be who we are as persons made in his image. One of my favorite books on worship is entitled Humanity at Full Stretch. Humanity at Full Stretch. In other words, in worship, as we gather before Christ and as we receive his body and his blood, we are learning that we are free. We are learning that we are free to be who God made us to be. We are free to live into the shoes that God gave you. We are free to be the woman of God that God created you to be at the beginning. You are free to be the man of God that God has called you to be. Yes, there are enemies of your becoming. Yes, there are enemies that get in the way of you being who God has called you to be. That's an amen, right? We all recognize that. Boy, I recognize it. My biggest problem is trusting in Cheetos rather than God when I'm anxious. Meaning, I trust in food to, to help my soul settle down. That's pretty stupid. But all of us have stuff in our lives where we know that we're not trusting God and that we're suffering because we're not. Paul says you are redeemed from all that would snuff out the light that God has given you in your very living. God has redeemed us. A second way to understand our blessedness in God is that God gives us an inheritance. That God gives us an inheritance. In him, we have obtained an inheritance. Having been predestined, who works all things according to the counsel of his will. When I think of being given an inheritance, I'm thinking about a home, an estate. But that's often what we mean by receiving an inheritance. We receive an estate of some kind from our parents. Three years ago, I lost both of my parents, three and a half years ago, and so I had to walk through that and struggle with, with the, the hurt and the pain with my brother around dealing with all that. But when I think about receiving an inheritance, I'm thinking about a home. And when I think about homes, I think about where I've lived as I've grown up and as I've lived my life. And I think about my first home, 1926 Wade Drive, in the mid-thumb region of Michigan. And I remember the carpet I had as a 10-year-old boy. Grass. AstroTurf. I was a big sports guy, and so I wanted grass. I wanted like a baseball diamond in my room. And my parents loved me and gave it to me. <laughs> but that idea of having a home, a place where you belong, that's the idea of our blessedness in God and receiving an inheritance. That God has given you a home place. God has given you a place to belong that is yours. There's a kind of a camp song, kind of dorky, Christian camp song about God having a big, big yard where we can play football. Anybody know that dorky song? What's the title of it? Who said yes? What? Yeah, big house. <laughs> the idea, though, is beautiful when you think about it, that God has given us a house to live in. 
In other words, the environment you live in in God is your home. As a fish lives in the environment of water, you today and tomorrow and the day after that live in the environment of the love of your Father. Wow. Blessed. You live each day breathing in and breathing out the love of God. The fact that God has chosen you as his own. He's given you a place to stand, a place to be. I know who I am, and more importantly, I know whose I am. God in Christ has given us our basic identity. He's redeemed us. He's set us free from bondage in our practical everyday living. Given us the opportunity to be ourselves at full stretch before him. God has given us an inheritance, a place of security in him, knowing that we belong somewhere in the very house, home, heart of our creator. And finally, we see that God has blessed us in him, in verse 13, by his very presence. By his very presence. The text says, in him you were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of your inheritance until we acquire possession of it. Until we acquire possession of it. The Ephesian Christians, in other words, were struggling with whether or not they were going to make it. They were struggling with whether or not they could withstand the fires that they were experiencing in their hearts and in their minds and in their living and at their workplace. They weren't sure if they could stand any longer the pressures of living for God, of being who they were created. There was a great danger that they were going to leave the faith because the pressure was too strong. In him. In him, the text says, in the midst of of the storms that you live in, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit. You are sealed with the Holy Spirit. Now, when I'm thinking about seals, I'm thinking about car guys and sealants. I'm not a car guy, so that's as far as I go with that illustration. But the idea, though, of a sealant preventing leaks, yeah, it's tempting. To, to, to leak, to lose our sense of identity. Yeah, it's real pressures that we face each and every day to succumb to the enemies of our soul, to the, to the trials of our living. They're real and they're painful and, they're, and they hurt. And it's hard sometimes. And it feels like, it feels like I might lose who I am. And so God says, I bless you as a seal around your heart with my very presence. Wow. Wow. You remember our basic story. The conclusion of our story is Christ rising from the dead and then for the next 40 days being with the disciples that he led the previous three years. Most people say 550, 600 people-ish that Jesus ministered to during the interim between his resurrection and his ascension. And during that time, Christ assured them that he was real, 
that their faith was not blind. You ever heard that, that faith is blind? No, that's called being stupid. Faith is not blind. Faith in Christ is based on facts. Paul calls his listeners to root and ground themselves in the facts of who they are in God. Choose to live in the light of these facts. He concludes this section that I'm going to wrap up with today. Is I give thanks that you may know what is the hope that you have. I give thanks for the immeasurable greatness of God's power that has put all things under his feet. Faith in Jesus Christ, the way I like to talk about it and teach about it, is that it is rational attachment. Faith is rational attachment to a God who is trustworthy. Faith is rational attachment to God who is bigger than any trial I might encounter. It's rational attachment, meaning it's smart. It makes sense to trust Jesus, who over 500 people saw him dead on Friday and lived with him for a month and a half before he was ascended into heaven. Our story, though, doesn't end with his ascension, does it? Ten days later, he tells his disciples to wait. To wait until you are endued with power. To wait until the Holy Spirit comes upon you as a seal. Rooting, grounding, anchoring you in your identity as a child of God, redeemed, set free. As a child of God, given up home place to stand, I know whom I have believed that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto that day. There's a 1800s hymn, if anybody recognizes that one. Yeah. Therefore, choose to live in the light of these facts. Don't live based on your emotions, the ups and the downs. Don't live in light of and on the basis of your failures, the ups and the downs. Live in the light of the rock-solid truth of who Jesus Christ is and who he says you are because of what he has done. There once was two people. One who built his house upon the rock and another who built his house upon the sand. One thing that they both had in common was that storms came. One house stood.